But good to see your faces this morning and after a camp in which we had a wonderful time together uh, in the Word, in fellowship with God and with one another and uh, we were all richly blessed. And so I'm looking forward to Bible studies that are recommencing shortly in um, various homes with the various leaders and so again I'm not sure but if you're not in a Bible study get connected to one. They are a rich blessing to all involved and, um, and the various uh, dis- topics and discussions and teachings that are, uh, are relevant and uh, we become edified in the Lord. And so we are looking forward to that as well. Now, in saying all of that, I want to this morning, uh, I want you to turn with me to Psalm 25. Psalm 25. Now bear with me as I kind of give us a bit of a background. I want to share with you, I guess, before we go into it, some of my own experience as it relates to this particular psalm. But also, um, I want to go through it over the next few sessions that we will have together in the weeks ahead as well. So really, this is probably the first part of that, and we'll see, uh, you know, two, three, four, we'll, we'll, have, we'll, we'll just take it as it comes. But it's a glorious psalm that we want to consider and one really that is dear to me personally and maybe already is to you. But as we go through it, I pray that it will become dear to you because it, is, uh, it contains very profound truths, as does all scripture, for us to consider and to understand. And it is a psalm that's written by David and it is a psalm that is based on a revelation of God. And it's also a psalm that is real in terms of the experiences of David's life. And lastly, it is a psalm that is relevant to you and I this morning as, uh, as we consider it. So it's based on a revelation of David's revelation of God. It's based on the reality of his life and it's relevant to you and I as we sit here today and so it's in light of that that we want to draw the various truths that it contains. It is associated with human experience and the realities of human experience in all of its various shapes and forms that it takes on and we'll identify those as we go deeper into the psalm. But uh, it, it touches on the reality of human experience and that in particular being sin and our sins before the Lord. But yet, as it considers those realities, it highlights on one hand that, but then on the other it talks about and extols and reveals to us the, the, the nature and character and attributes of God that are contained within and so that in light of what we are and who we are, there is the reality of who God is and all that he is. And so if we will turn our eyes upon him, amen, there, therein lies uh, our hope. The faithfulness of God towards his people, the love of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the loving kindness of God. All of these things are, uh, are identified within this particular psalm. And so as I said to you earlier, I just want to share a little bit, if I can, just how personal to me this particular psalm is. Because um, uh, at, a, at a time in my life, in my journey, in my walk as a Christian, and as I was considering numbers of things and going through various experiences in my own walk with the Lord and ministry uh, at the time uh, in the uh, fellowship that I was a part of and the struggles that were uh, and sufferings that were associated with it, I remember one day reading this particular psalm and uh, I, I, I sensed deeply that God in this moment was speaking to me and this particular psalm became like an anchor. It became something in, in which I held on to in terms of God's promise and faithfulness and despite what I was experiencing at the time. And then over a period of time, and I was just sharing this with the brother Morris Nicholson, um, um, because many of you may, may re- recall the late uh, Irene Morgan. 
And so I had the privilege and opportunity to spend some time with him before uh, he went to be with the Lord. And, um, uh, and so there was uh, not a lot of time, but some quality time. And it was uh, a real blessing to uh, my wife and I, and just in light of, of the, the ministry, the friendship and the various things. But what brought Iron Morgan and I into contact, or me in contact with him, was um, I knew of him, just knew of him because of my association with Kingsway, which was really zero, but I'd come to a meeting to see Jacob Prash once. And so um, I listened to this message, and it was on Psalm 25 from Iron Morgan. And so as I listened to that, I identified with so much that he was talking about that I felt compelled to make contact with him and, um, and did so, and that it resulted in us getting together, spending some time together and talking about lots of different things. But that was the catalyst. Psalm 25 was so central to my own life and to various things that were going on at that, at that stage in, in my life. And so God was good. And really, as I look at the years that have passed, even since then, and all that God had revealed to me then in relation to Psalm 25, I see that in the process of time, God has built much further, and it's still not complete, but I've grown in a greater depth of revelation and understanding of God. And in particular, um, we talk about God's faithfulness, but there's a particular scripture in this um, particular psalm that talks about that uh, to, to those that fear him, he will show them his covenant. And so it's in verse 14, I believe. And so again, that he will show them his covenant. And that became, uh, you know, not an instantaneous revelation, but it was a progressive continuation of a revelation of God as it relates to his covenant. To his covenant. And, um, uh, and again, it has richly blessed me individually and enabled me to minister as I, uh, I do today. But again, I'm sharing these things because my faith in the midst of everything that I had to tr go through in the trials and tribulations of my life, my, this particular psalm became a stabilizing factor in my own life as I continue to wait upon the Lord and persevere and be patient. And so um, in that sense, it's dear to me. And I pray as we work through it this, uh, this morning and in the, the weeks ahead that um, God will bless us all through it. Now, it's a significant psalm. I, re I also recall coming across, uh, many will know, the late David Wilkerson. And one of the books, he wrote a number of books, but one of the books he wrote was The Unveiling of the New Covenant. And it was based on Psalm 25, verse 14. And so, um, and he wrote about it in a context of, um, of God bringing deliverance to his people from the power of sin in their lives because he saw that too many Christians were uh, living under the dominion of sin and under uh, the power of sin. And he said, this is not God's plan for his church. The covenant, the new covenant made provision that we could have power to be free from the dominion of sin. And so there are so many glorious truths that are associated with the covenant. But again, he was drawing upon this principle, scripture, uh, that we find within Psalm 25. And so the reality is, is we need God. We need his grace. We need a revelation of who he is and what his word teaches us. And Psalm 25 provides that. But you see, it, it lays a greater principle in the word of God. We need revelation. David had revelation despite on all his human experience. He had an understanding of God. And we find this among many men of God throughout the scriptures. Even Paul the Apostle, in light of his teaching in the book of Romans, you will remember he talks about in Romans 7 the dilemma of human nature and sin that is within him and the uh, wanting to do what's right but constantly failing and falling short and to will to do was there but the power to do it wasn't. And he said, O oh, wretched man! that I am but he didn't end it there he said thank God that through Jesus Christ there is an answer and it was Paul the Apostle himself who was the one that God used to expound to us the new covenant it was Paul the Apostle who grew to a great uh, clear revelation and understanding. He says, no one taught me this. Uh, I received this by way of revelation from God. 
No man taught me. And so God began to reveal to him these things of the covenant in the Old Testament that forms for us the New Testament. And yet Paul was the one that God used to deliver this. And it was Paul himself when he wrote to the church at Ephesus and he said in chapter 1, verse 17, 18, and he says, May the Spirit of God... He may uh, give you the spirit, uh, the, the spirit of God uh, that the, um, he uses that may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So that, uh, and that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened. Because he understood that this gospel, he understood that the, re- the realities of the, co- the new covenant have to be revealed to us. We, we must be taught. And they must be revealed to us. And that's why Jesus said, I will give you another, the Holy Spirit, the one who teaches us and guides us into all truth. And we have an anointing that teaches us. And so God wants to bring us into this greater revelation of himself, a greater depth of experience in his love and his faithfulness and his goodness. And that we in that would take confidence, have complete trust uh, in him. Amen. Praise the Lord. So let's read. I want to read, we'll read the psalm through, although we're not going to go through all the psalm, but we'll just read it for the sake of it in the first instance this morning. So let's look at verse number one. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be, be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me. For your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he teaches sinners in the way. The humble he guides in justice. And the humble he teaches his way. The paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. To such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For, the name, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity for it is great. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. He himself shall dwell in prosperity, and his descendants shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. The eyes of the Lord, or the, uh, sorry, my eyes are ever towards the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Turn yourself to me and have mercy on me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look on my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. Consider my enemies, for they are many. They hate me without, with cruel hatred. Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all their troubles. So, here we have David penning this particular psalm and it's actually interestingly as I was looking at it, some will state that it was an acrostic psalm like Psalm 119 that we've been studying. It follows the Hebrew alphabet, although there are one or two minor discrepancies which they say is related to translation more than anything else. But nevertheless, it it, it is uh, orchestrated in such a way Uh, Again, inspired of God. But besides all of that, what we see as we read this is we get a clear sense of the the heart of David as we read it. We, We see that there is a reality that surrounds David's life. It's one of distress. I am desolate and I am afflicted. The troubles of my heart have been enlarged. And so he's calling upon God 
in the midst of the, the suffering, in the midst of the burden, in the midst of the guilt, in the midst of the, uh, uh, of the struggles of his own internal life that are playing themselves out in his own soul. There is great conflict, there is great turmoil, there's pain and there's suffering. And it's in, this, in, it's in light of this that uh, David writes, uh, and, uh, and though he is one that understands human weakness and failure, we find that he is someone who understands uh, and has such strong faith in God. Look at the first verse. We see and identify in the first instance immediately his, his faith in God. He says, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Now these are just, you know, I know we, we sing these songs, but we must sing with an understanding. And so David is saying that I lift up my soul to you, O God. This is a, a, a demonstration of his faith. That in light of all these human experiences, he is turning his attention to God. He is looking up. I lift up my soul. The idea being his whole inner person, that of the inner life, that of the inner man, and those of the things that transpire in the heart, deep in the heart of an individual, he is lifting up his soul to God. You know, the world around him and the nations around them of Israel, they, were, they would lift up their soul to idols. But David understood and he would lift up his soul to God. Isn't it interesting that in the midst of life's struggles and its turmoils and its sufferings and all of its pain, it is important, amen, that we lift up our soul to God because it's so easy to become despondent. It is so easy to become depressed by the circumstances of life, and the result is, is rather than looking up, we can look down. Down in sorrow, down in despondency, down in depression, down in self-pity, down in, dis in doubt and unbelief. And this is not the state of a soul, amen, that should be the case. Even sometimes in church, you know, I understand that we can be um, uh, filled with sorrow and we can be going through some extremely difficult circumstances. I get it. I understand it. But you know, the best thing we can do is come into the house of God and not look down on the ground. Amen? Look up. Lift up your soul to God and worship and call upon Him. Because that's the best thing you can do because that's faith. Can't just sit there and be mopey. Ooh. And then, you know, and then we're misguided. We say, is everything okay? You know, and we don't want to encourage people, and that's a good thing. But you don't want to encourage them in their despondency, depression, and their unbelief. You must encourage them to lift up your soul. Lift up your eyes. Look to Jesus. Because that is, that is a simple matter of faith and a demonstration of faith. We have to look up. As the world, you know, they look for their next appointment with the psychologist. But we don't need those things, amen? We have, we, we, we have our God and our Saviour. We have one that cares for us like no one else. One that we can turn to in a time of trouble, call upon, draw near to. Who is a reality? And that's what we pick up at this psalm, is that David has a relationship and an intimacy with God that, that we, we should be striving towards. I lift up my soul to you. That is my thoughts, my feelings, my ways, my life, everything that I am. Because we're talking about now the soul. It says, because I trust in you. That is that my faith and my trust and my confidence, my assurance is in you. Because if God is for me, who can be against me? And so, again, this is a picture, of, and this is an understanding to you and I this morning that, that David has a relationship with God, and it is uh, something that we, too, should draw upon, something that we should strive towards, something that we should be building up in our own lives uh, and nurturing, and that is a deeper relationship with God himself. 
And David is, when we look at this psalm, we see that David is open and he's honest about the thoughts of his heart. But at the same time, he's not in a helpless and hopeless situation. Rather, he is one that is rock solid in his understanding of God. He is one who has an unshakable faith and confidence in Christ or in God. And so though he understands the human heart, and though he understands himself, he understands the nature and character of God. He says in verse 2, Indeed, let no one who waits on you be put or, or be ashamed or be put to shame. Let those be ashamed who do treacherously without cause. You see, David had, and Israel, we know, had enemies. And though there is a physical relevancy and dimension to those enemies, when we draw upon that spiritually, we understand, amen, that as Christians this morning, as children of God sitting here, that we too are subject to the enemy. We too are subject to the assaults and strategies of the enemy in our own lives that want to bring about destruction, that seek to kill, steal and to destroy. And so, um, and so, and even in light of our, our, our past, the, the enemy consistently wants to bring shame uh, and our adversaries constantly are wanting to bring shame to our lives. And so we must be mindful of the spiritual dimensions and the spiritual realities and the spiritual warfare that we are engaged in. It is a real thing. He says, let not my enemies triumph over me. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. I read verse 3 before. Did you pick that up <laughs> accidentally? <laughs> but there you have it. And so God is, is one that that's why Jesus, uh, the scripture will say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Because we, in spite of the, the battle, in spite of the realities that, and the struggles of this life that we are enduring, one, because of our own having to deal with our own sinful nature and the flesh, and two, having to deal with the, the principalities and powers of darkness and all that it uh, involves, uh, <coughs> yet we are promised victory, church. The, the enemy will not triumph. And so our confidence is again in Christ. God causes, the Bible even tells us that God causes us to triumph. You see, and so what is required in the Christian life is an ability to see God as he is. That's why we need the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That's why Paul would pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. Do you remember that story? Um, uh, in Second uh, in Kings chapter 6, and it relates to Elisha and his servant. And in here, the enemy comes and encompasses around Elijah, and the servant is, uh, is panicking uh, because of what he's seeing in the physical sense, that they are outnumbered, they are... <laughs> I mean, this is not two to one, this is like... Well, who knows how many, uh, but uh, they were far outnumbered. This guy, Elisha uh, uh, and the servant, is thinking, my gosh, we are finished. And Elisha's unmoved. Oh, there's a reality to the situation. We don't deny that. But you see, Elisha doesn't see in the physical. Elisha sees what's happening in the spiritual. And so what happens is, is Elisha prays and says to God, open his eyes. And in, in, in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 16, says, so Elisha answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And so that shows us, amen, that we as Christians, despite the realities of what goes on in us and around us and all that is happening, and, um, but yet we are looking up, amen, 
We've lifted up our soul and the ability is to see God, to know God and to have our eyes open so our faith and our confidence is in Him because God is the one that causes us to triumph. God is the one that causes us to live and to walk in victory. We are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us and we are overcomers. And that doesn't mean that, uh, that, 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 that changes the reality of our circumstances sometimes. But what it does mean is that my faith is anchored in Christ. My faith is strong and it is built upon a revelation of who God is and his promises. And therefore, I stand. David was one who saw in this psalm. And we must see too. So what did David see? What did David understand? What is that? <laughs> That's all right. What did David see? And what is it that David understood about God? Well, we'll discover those things, but I first want to draw your attention to verse 4 because uh, uh, what we have recorded is a prayer, is a request from David himself to God. And it would do us well just to consider these things because... Uh, um, he says in verse 4, Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. But there's three specific requests. And they are, show me your ways. Two, teach me your paths. Three, lead me in your truth. And so this is, the, this is David's request. And again, it must characterize our prayer and our desire and our, our request to God. But in the Hebrew, when, 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 when David says, show me your ways, this is very important because again, the word show in the Hebrew uh, is the word yada. <coughs> Excuse me. And it means to, to know, to ascertain by seeing. Now this is not... A, in, a, in, a, um, in a physical sense, it's funny actually, Barbara and I on our way to church, we had no kids in the car and we were talking and I was, she asked me a question and I was just explaining something to her and she, she got excited. She goes, I love it when I get a revelation <laughs> and I, I can see. And so, um, and so she was all chirpy and, uh, and so forth. But it's true. That's how it works because it's like the light goes on in the mind and there is a revelation and, and that is show me your ways. In other words, to ascertain by seeing God shows us, he reveals to us and we see him as he is. And that is what's required for us this morning is Lord, show me. Because we can't teach ourselves. The truth's not in us. It's not in man to direct his own steps. We, we're groping in darkness. We need the light to shine upon us. That's why your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. We are in constant dependency upon God to show me your ways. Teach me and lead me in your paths. Note he says in, ver in verse 8, it says, good and upright is the Lord, therefore he teaches sinners in the way. Teach me your ways. And it was Morris that spoke about the way and, and how its scriptural relevance from Genesis and right through to uh, Acts and, and so forth. But we are constantly dependent upon God because we are walking and following the way. The way, the truth and the life. Christ himself. Just let me read a couple of scriptures. In Psalm 143, verse 8, to just reiterate this truth. It says, Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk. For I lift up my soul to you. Isn't that, doesn't that sound almost so similar to what we've just been reading? And so here, cause me to, to know the way in which I should walk. Because I lift my soul to you. I'm looking to you. I'm trusting you. 
And our confidence is, is, is that, as the scripture tells us in Proverbs chapter 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. And so we have these promises that if we will lift up our soul, we would put trust in him, we will bring ourselves to him in our circumstances, then we can walk with the confidence that he will direct our steps. You know, and I think I've mentioned this before, but it's, I'll, I'll reiterate it because it's relevant. In Psalm 103, verse 7, it says, He made his ways known to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. Now think about that, because you can read that and kind of not make the distinction. Because it says, He made his ways known to Moses, but his acts to the children of Israel. And so there's a, distinct, uh, there's a distinction there because to Israel, they saw the mighty acts of God. They saw the Red Sea part. They saw the death of the firstborn. They saw the water. They saw uh, the manna. They, they experienced and they observed the mighty acts of God. But the Bible says that in, to Moses, he showed his ways. He showed his ways to Moses. In other words, there is something more intimate. There is something more uh, 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 special about uh, that which related to Moses' relationship to God. And so he showed his ways to Moses. And so, and so it is amongst the people of God. There are those that know the reality of God. They believe in God. They've seen the acts of God. They can't deny him, but they don't know his ways. Why? Because they're not intimately connected. They haven't lifted up their soul. They're not trusting in the Lord as they should. They're not walking in his paths. And they're not sort of saying, Lord, show me your way because, because of whether it be disobedience or whatever the case may be. But if we're going to know the ways of God, then we must be like Moses. We must be like David to know the, those intimate aspects of his ways. And so David, is, his prayer is, is, um, is, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Now think about that. His paths. Because it's not, it, it's, it, when we talk about the way, okay, we know what the way, we must know the way, but the paths also teach us something. In, in, uh, in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3, it says, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of our God, or to the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. You see, it's one thing for God to show us the way. It is another thing for us to walk in the path. Amen? And so we must walk in those paths. And so stand, uh, uh, it says, uh, come let us go to the mountain of the Lord. And obviously there it's a reference to Zion. But you see, you and I, we are in Christ. Amen. And so we are, we are seated in heavenly places. We are on the mountain of the Lord. We have come to Mount Zion, the scripture says. And so there in which we dwell, as, it, as the Bible would teach us, and so it is imperative that we not only are taught the ways of the Lord, but we walk in those paths. It's exactly what Hebrews 12 is teaching us, that we've come to Mount Zion. Let us take heed to him who speaks. To obey and to walk in his paths. And another thing to consider about paths this morning is a path is not, you know, we... we in, in, today we have concrete paths, you know. It's all laid out for us. There it is on a slab of concrete and we just walk on it. But you see, here in, the, in these Old Testament times, it, a path it was understood as a well-trodden track. So in other words, uh, uh, <coughs> others have walked down that path. There are others imitate that we are called to imitate, the Bible says, who through faith and patience inherited the promises. And so it's not just, that's why Paul would say, imitate me, follow me as I follow Christ. And so it's not about just uh, the Lord and ourselves, amen. We can consider those that have gone before us, the examples of others and follow those paths. And they are the ancient paths. 
Listen to Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. It says, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths, where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk in it. This was Israel as they had been in disobedience and, you know, and as they had had their false prophets come out and said, hey, listen, we've just made a new path. Let's go down the new path. And so, and so they, but God through the prophet was, telling, was calling them uh, to, to take up the, and follow and walk in the old paths. Why? Because they are well trodden by those that have gone before us. Always, why is it that the next generation always thinks they know better than the last generation? Isn't it? It's just crazy, isn't it? You don't know what you're talking about. You're just old and grey and fuzzy, and that's that. I mean, I've walked the path now for this life for so many years. You would do well to, to listen, to heed, to learn. But no, I'm 18 now. I know everything. And so what do we do? We learn the hard way. I mean, let's face it, we've all done it. <laughs> it's just human nature. It's just so dumb. You missed a good time to say amen. <laughs> but the Bible's telling us that's where the good way is. It's the old paths. It's there you'll find rest for your soul. But Israel said, no, we won't walk in it. And the sad reality is, is there are those that say, no, I'm not going to trod that path. I'm not going down that narrow, that narrow path that leads to life. There are wide roads. There are other paths, you know, that I can take. Oh, that there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There's only one way. And there is the path that we must, the old path that we must follow. And that's why we read the word of God. That's why we, 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 uh, we consider those uh, that have gone before us. Because they show us the way. We can follow their example. Not disregard them and think that somehow we've got something new and something better. So, David is praying, Lord, show me your ways. Teach me your paths. He says in verse 10 of chapter 25 in Psalm 25, All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. All of his paths, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. And the two go together, amen. One truth, obviously, but it's, a, it's mixed with the mercy of God because we are dependent on always upon God's mercy. Amen? We need God help me. It's not in man that I can direct that I should know the way in which I should go. Don't let me be so arrogant and foolish and think that I would know better. But rather, Lord, you guide me, you teach me, you show me. And, and that is based on his mercy towards me. And if we are faithful to him, if we are, uh, 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 as it says here, as, as to those that keep his covenant and his testimonies, if we will be faithful, then we will, we will see the faithfulness of God in ways that we would never uh, have considered nor thought because God is such, is so good. So he says, verse 4, Show me your ways, O Lord, teach me your paths, lead me in your truth and teach me. And really, that is the essence of the Christian life as we grow in our knowledge of God and our understanding of God. But I want to turn your attention to the next part of the psalm because as we go through it, there is another shift that we find in verse number 6. And it is here that as we begin to consider, there is a shift in David's psalm which now turns to himself. And really what proceeds from this point um, is, a, uh, is not pleasant in terms of David's life and his experience. In actual fact, there are what we see and identify here are painful memories of the past that David is harboring in his heart. Painful memories that are pressing upon him 
in his conscience, deep down in the recesses of his mind and his heart that he's carrying. And they are painful memories of the past. And he's reflecting upon his own life. Now in verse 6 though, he first, and again, let this be the foundation. He's one that's writing with an understanding of himself, but with an understanding of God. And he says in verse 6, Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness. So he's saying, in light of, as we'll see, in light of who I am, remember who you are and uh, your attributes. He says, do not, verse 7, do not remember the sins of my youth nor my transgressions, according to your mercy. Remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. And so David now is reflecting upon himself and he's, uh, in this instance he refers to, do not remember the sins of my youth nor my transgressions. You know, when you think as you grow older uh, in life and in the Lord, you reflect upon things and you, you see the foolishness and, of our ways and we think upon the sins of our youth or before we came to know Christ, when we were without Christ, we, we lived in such a way that we did things that we are now ashamed of. And the memories of the past can be still present in, uh, with us as, as we go on in, and carry these things in life. I can't erase the past. Do not remember, and I, they, though I can remember, his God is, David saying to God, remember not the sins of my youth, but thank God we have such promises that he remembers our sins no more. And so we can build on, our confidence is, is based upon, again, the character of God, the promises of God that we find in Scripture. But also, when we talk about the sins of his life and the painful memories of his past, we're dealing also with some issues that revolve around his presence, the present. Look at verse 11. He says, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. And so <coughs> commentators, as they have studied this, many believe, and I too, accept that this is a direct reference to his sin with, in, in adultery with Bathsheba and in the murdering of Uriah. And so David is writing about this and he's carrying in his own heart and in his own soul the weight of his own transgressions. And he says, Lord... Oh, and he's no, no, notice his appeal in verse 11, again, with the knowledge of God. For your name's sake, O God, because of who you are, I, I rest and I plea on this basis alone, not because of who I am. I, 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 I deserve nothing. But he says, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. See, this was something that was deeply uh, causing distress and turmoil in David's life. Uh, and uh, and he, he was acutely aware in his soul, in his thoughts, and in his feelings, and in his emotions. And we know it was a great sin. And, you know, let's be honest. <coughs> As children of God... In the Christian life now, uh, we're not now dealing with the sins of our youth or, or the past, but uh, even as Christians, there are things that we can do. We sin against God all the time. And not only that, there are those that will say, I've committed great sin. And I think that, uh, and, and, and the result of that can cause much havoc and, and turmoil to the, to, the, to the child of God because they have sinned against God. And it may be a great and grievous sin that has caused, it's caused immense personal damage, immense sin against uh, uh, God and against others, or, and whatever the case may be. But you see, in light of this, David understood the nature of God. He understood the forgiveness of God. He understood the loving kindness of God, as we will see in these scriptures. And he was able, he says, for your name's sake, I don't deserve nothing. We don't deserve nothing. But you see, it's important that we understand this because what can happen when we consider the painful memories of the past is they have a, an ability, and the enemy tries to use these things to destroy our present and our future. 
And so, because, you know, we bear the burden in ourselves, you know, let me not be ashamed, David prays. Let not my enemies triumph. Because sometimes we've done things that have equipped them to bring us uh, accusations against us. And yet, we must come to the point where we realise, though we will never erase the memories uh, of, of sin and great sin and things that may have, we have done or may have happened, we must rest assured that God is a God that is faithful. God is good. God is a God of love. He will forgive. And we rest in that forgiveness that when we make that, that, that confession, when we repent before the Lord, when we come to God, we come with an understanding that though I have sinned against thee, I am cleansed, I am forgiven, and again I am uh, 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 and we know out the position in which we stand before the Lord. And that is imperative for us to continue to live and walk in victory as a Christian because the enemy will try and bring us into bondage. Pardon my iniquity, for it is great. And so God will, and so God does. And God erases the guilt. He erases the shame. Let me not be ashamed. You see, shame is a stronghold of the enemy in the, in the life of a, of a child of God. Shame. Now, you can't erase the memory, but you can erase the, 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 the hurt, the pain uh, of those memories in our lives. That God can heal. That God can bring deliverance. That's what he wants to do, so that we don't have to live and walk in bondage under condemnation. And it's all based on God's forgiveness. It's all based on his mercy. It's all based on his goodness. And that's what David's appealing to in verse 6. He says, Lord, remember your tender mercy, your loving kindness. This word loving kindness in the Hebrew is a, is, is a, is, is, is a special word when it talks about the loving kindness of God. In the Hebrew, it carries for us an understanding of God's faithfulness, his faithful love towards you and I. And that is rooted and related to covenant. And the fact that, and that's why we even find the references later in verse 14 to the covenant, because if we will just lift up our eyes to God, if we will humble ourselves before the Lord, if we will draw near to him and seek him, he will show us his covenant. He will give us a revelation of his mercy, a revelation of his loving kindness, of his commitment to you and I, in spite of the fact that none of us deserve it. None of us can stand. But we stand on the basis for his namesake, because of his tender mercies, because of his loving kindness, because he's faithful. Even when we're faithless, he remains faithful. And so we begin to see the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God that David's making reference to within the psalm. And again, we're seeing the pain of human experience in one hand and we're seeing God's character and faithfulness on the other. And David is not one that is bound in a hopelessness and helplessness. He's not one that's living in despair, though he's real about his situation. Isn't it? It's a real fine line, you know. How are you? I'm tremendous in the Lord. You know, because if we say that we're not, you know, I'm desolate and afflicted, that's not going to look good, is it? <laughs> oh, how are you feeling today? I'm desolate and afflicted. <laughs> you see, again, we can be real with some ourselves, but we must at the same time be real about God. That is faith. That is assurance. That is a confidence. It's based, say, knowing my human frailty, knowing my human realities, but knowing who God is, because that always lifts us above our circumstances. When we see and have a revelation, we can live and walk in victory, despite the human elements that are real. I'm not trying to say that they're not. They can be real, real, real. This, this suffering, and there's things that happen that are beyond our control, and we have to endure and persevere. But our eyes are on Jesus. We trust in him. I lift up my soul to you, O oh Lord. So, 
David had such strong faith. He had a faith that lodged itself in the nature and character of God, a faith that lifted him up and set him free. And he appropriated all that God was and is to him. But we, he appropriated all that God is. And that is for us. That's what it means when we talk about being in Christ. We have to, that's why the promise is, is that the promised land. You know, so many Christians dwell in the wilderness. They're wilderness Christians and they're constantly dwelling and going around for year after year and they never enter into the full possession, the full appropriation of Calvary and of Christ and of the cross and of God's nature and character. And this is what we must do. This is what we must work towards as we seek him and draw near to him. And so it's the only way that we can live in consistent fellowship with God. It is God who keeps us safe and secure. It is God as we draw near to him and in, are in fellowship with him, as we pray, as we bring our burdens before him, and it is him that keeps us safe and secure, him that gives us the comfort, him that gives us the strength because it's all based on his grace. Just as we conclude with some thoughts this morning, David understood the human heart. He wrote in Psalm 51, verse 5, he said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. He knew the depths of his own nature. He knew the depths of his own heart as God had shown him and as he had come to know. He had a revelation of his own sins before the Lord. And he said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. You see, this is the revelation of the Christian. This is the revelation of all men of God. Uh, Jeremiah would say, as the prophet, uh, under the inspiration of God, he said these words in Jeremiah 79. He says, The heart deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? And so that is, the that is our nature. That is who we are. Just like I said earlier, Paul the Apostle, when he considered himself and, and human nature, he said, Oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, wretched men that we are. Now, we're not here to flagellate ourselves. We're not here to just say, Oh, God, I'm terrible. I mean, we know that and God knows that. Okay? But I say that in order to say this, in light of all of those realities, it doesn't change who God is. It doesn't change the fact of God's nature. It doesn't change the fact of God's love and faithfulness to you and I. It doesn't change the fact that God is in covenant with you and I. And that we can draw upon Him and, and His promises and His nature. And I tell you, when we do that, church, there is something wonderful that transpires as we walk in the freedom and the liberty that is in Christ Jesus. And so we need to meditate upon these things. And I encourage you, because I intend to speak in more detail about aspects of this psalm in the, in the coming weeks when I have the opportunity to be up here. So I, I say to you in the meantime, read it, meditate upon it. And let us come back to the psalm again and draw greater truths with that are contained within. But I pray that this is enough for us to consider this morning and may we be blessed. Let's just pray and ask the Lord's blessing this morning. Dear God, we just thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. God, that we can lift up our soul to you, that we can trust in you. And I pray, Lord, that which has been revealed and spoken this morning, that it would be deposited in every heart. Speak and minister. And Lord, let us meditate and chew over these glorious things, these truths in your word. And even in the, the days and weeks ahead, Lord, let us meditate upon this particular sum as we come again to it, Lord, that we would continue to be richly edified and blessed. I pray your grace upon each and all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you this morning.